Hello, welcome to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we're back, James, with a new franchise, new start, new slate, new trilogy. We are doing the Jurassic Park trilogy. So our previous franchise went back in time, but we're bringing time forward. Yeah, or or, yeah, 65 million years forward, to be precise. Exactly. Good maths. I like it. I think it's hard to... I mean, again, it's one of those things where I woke up this morning knowing we were going to be recording Jurassic Park, and I was really excited about it. Obviously, I've watched the film twice. I've seen the film God knows how many times in in the time it's been released, since 93. Um, And I got excited, but then a little bit of anxiety crept in. And I think that that anxiety... um, not to do with COVID, or it could be, but I think a lot of it is about the fact that I knew that today we were going to be doing Jurassic Park and we would probably never do Jurassic Park again. Does that make sense? So it's yeah. like, it's like knowing, I don't know how to describe that feeling. It's like, imagine someone that hasn't seen Jurassic Park and I hope that there's someone listening to this that hasn't seen it and goes and watches it, but it's like having not seen Jurassic Park before and then having seen it, you can never, you can never see it again for the first time. Yeah, that's true. You can never go. You can never relive that that moment. So yeah, and it, and it is. It's a magical film. I mean, I think honestly, it's probably up in my top five favorite films of all time. Very near the top. I I can't overstate how much I love this film. Um, released in 1993, um, it was given 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 91% Rotten Tomato. So big scores for Rotten Tomatoes. I'm a bit disappointed in IMDb because mm. I'm going to go out on a limb, James. I'd have given it 10 out of 10. Yeah. I mean, what other film in the bringing dinosaurs back from the past genre <laughs> outperforms Jurassic Park, really? I mean, there, there aren't even... That even the Jurassic Park films themselves don't outperform the first one, really. No, totally. Uh, this movie is, is one of those films that it always gets me excited about movies because it's kind of got everything. Like even the opening titles to this film, the the Universal logo sort of comes on, and it's it's the noise of the island playing over the top of it, and it's like crickets and animals and and insects and birds, and you can hear this like, oh, we're going to some sort of tropical world, and immediately sets the tone for this film. There's an ominous theme at the beginning when the titles come on, and honestly, James, I've watched it so many times in my life, but. I never fail to get excited about it when talking about it, when referencing it, or when watching it. It's just phenomenal. It is. It's it's a great film, and I I think, in some ways, it. I was trying to watching it again, trying to work out where it differs from more recent Jurassic mm. series films, uh, and it isn't that opening. That opening is yeah. masterful, just because they never show you a dinosaur. No. No, the raptor attack at the beginning um, on Isla Nublo is not in the book. Um, mm. It's referenced in the novel because uh, I read the novel knowing we were going to be doing this so I could get a bit of an idea of where that came from. But, I mean, it's very similar. Like, it, it doesn't deviate all that much from it. I think Spielberg adds elements to it which benefit yeah. massively. I think the film benefits better than the book. The book is very dark. Uh, it's very continuous. It's It's very much about that snobbish attitude of mm. capitalism versus science versus ethics. And I know that in the movie you get that that debate a little bit, like you get it in the dinner party scene 
And you get it when Malcolm's talking about, um, you know, uh, life breaks free, life cannot be contained. And it's that thing of the, the scientists who can do it doesn't mean they should have done it. The yeah. capitalists doing it purely for the money, like Hammond. And then you've got the other side, which is, you know, ethically, is this something we should do? It's nature. You shouldn't really dominate nature. It's not good. And we know that. I mean, mm. God, looking at where we're at now, it's 2020. Me and James are sat in our computers. Everyone in the country is in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone in the world is in the middle of a pandemic. And largely that pandemic stems from the inability of humans being able to live alongside nature. Mm. It's mad, isn't it? I I couldn't imagine a better time to do Jurassic Park than right now. Because it's true. You you can't dominate these things. We don't have all that control over nature. And we need to live with it, not dominate it and try and be in charge of it and... Yeah, I just thought it really, reading the book especially, mate, woke me up to a lot of that, you know. Yeah, I think currently uh, a lot of people's attitude towards things like the coronavirus can be exemplified by the kid that mocks the raptors at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Alan gets completely triggered. <laughs> he, does, he gets really really angry with that fat kid yeah. who's talking about the giant turkey <laughs> I, I need to find this boy I want to know where he is I want to know what he's doing did he ever do anything else was he a bully in something he looks like a bully from a Disney film doesn't he he did I mean when they were trying to lend like credence to the new uh, Jurassic <laughs> World they were trying to claim that Chris Pratt was that kid I was like, no. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, there were some rumours going around that they were trying to claim that Chris Pratt's character was that kid. <laughs> I was like, nothing. it doesn't have to link entirely with the previous yeah. films. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah, the raptor attack thing at the beginning sets the tone of the film perfectly. It's ominous, it's terrifying, and then we get to the reason why the scientists go to the park is because the park is going to go into liquidation or they're going to... There's going to be a lot of, of uproar from the lawyers because they, they don't deem the, the Jurassic Park safe for people to go to and, and visit yeah. uh, because of the accident. And it's, it's in the novel. Uh, in the novel, it, it stems around a worker who goes to a Costa Rican hospital with like half his leg missing and claw marks on him. And the doctors like ask the lawyers who were there, what the hell's happened to this man? They're like, crane accident. And they refuse to explain. The guy's like, he looks like his flesh is got some sort of foreign bacteria on it like it's been mauled like it's putrefying and the doctor's like nah just a crane could be just some <laughs> jungle bacteria from the crane and like uh, i don't know Crichton does a really good job of putting in all the logistical things that like if you get bitten by a raptor you're getting bitten by something that has very foreign enzymes in its saliva and therefore it's going to infect your skin and do you know what i mean he just yeah. thinks about all these clever things that stem away from from a dinosaur being brought back to life, and then in the in the film, there's dinosaurs in Costa Rica. People are finding them, and it and it's that idea that they are being able to get off this island that's off the coast, whatever how many miles it is off the coast. But um, yeah, I really like that idea, and I think it would have just been a bit too long winded for the film. I think the film needs to delve right into we've mm. got a raptor, someone dies, story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it I think for the film it makes a lot of sense, but that that story from the book it has a almost like a a a link with other spielberg films like the original or the the inspiration behind jaws was a shark that swam up river and the local mayor blamed it on german u-boats initially so the shark attacks were down to german u-boats and this was 
obviously in the book down to a crane accident. So there's a real link there with Spielberg properties of you know the officials not mm. telling you the truth and you know how yeah. how dangerous that can be. So yeah, I like that. I do. Yeah, I mean the cast in this film as well. Just to start out with that, um, truly an amazing cast. Uh, they were relative unknowns, I think, at the time in '93. You have um, you have uh, Alan Grant played by Sam Neill, Laura Dern playing Ellie Sattler, uh, Jeff Goldblum, of course, the great Jeff Goldblum playing yeah. Doctor Malcolm. No, no, playing Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Doctor Malcolm playing Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, um, get it right, Jake. Just get that right. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the kids are great Lex and Tim are, are great and you've got um, Richard um, Attenborough I nearly called him Richard Hammond then I wonder how many times that mistake's been made <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that old bloke what's his name Richard Hammond with the dinosaurs do you mean the driver uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah apparently he was uh, Richard uh, Attenborough Lord Attenborough was brought out of retirement for this film um, yeah. by Spielberg. He was he was interested in getting someone of that stature to play Hammond. Um, Hammond in the book as well, James, not that nice a character. No. Um, not as charismatic or as caring. Um, and in the, in the film, obviously, we have this huge uh, arc. I think there's a lot... I think character arcs are brilliant in this movie. Like, just the idea that Grant comes in as this um, this nerdy doctor who traumatizes kids, who doesn't like children, uh, ends up having to look after the two kids, Lex and Tim, yeah. and then at the end reconciles with that side of himself. You know, Ellie comes from a, a place of she's a you know a young female doctor um, of was it is it what was it? It's not paleontology, is it? It's something else that she's a doctor of. Yeah. It's like plant science. She's a plant doctor. <laughs> Uh, and she studies all of the plants in Jurassic Park and stuff. But then she has a character arc and she becomes the strong heroine. Ultimately, Ellie's character does more in the film than any other character to get people out of Stuck. Yeah. Um, Malcolm's arc. Does Malcolm really have an arc? I don't really know. I guess he kind of does. I mean, he goes from talking about pseudo-philosophy in a car to talking about pseudo-philosophy in what looks like a dressing gown. Um, <laughs> yeah, on a bed. <laughs> on a bed. <laughs> but yeah, he's. He, he, I think he, it's sad that. Sorry, go on. He slowly becomes more Jeff Goldblum. That's his character yeah. arc. Ah, <laughs> uh, the famous laugh as well. Just so we can put it out there, I'm not going to wash over it because it is hilarious. The famous laugh on the helicopter, which is always one of those things. It's like one of the most heavily memed and gift. Um, Clips, isn't it, from Jurassic yeah. Park? It's Jeff Goldblum's laugh on the helicopter. Um, yeah, it's really good. I mean, this is one of those films where, like you say, having seen so many of these types of movies over the years, you have to have good characters, um, and those characters have to be likable because you want them to survive the dinosaur attack. Yeah. And I feel like that this film does a great credit to that, in that, you know, every character in this film ultimately is interesting and I care about them to some extent. <laughs> Definitely. I think the, the the film is, I don't know whether it's unintentionally clever or if it was fully intentional. Because like you say in the book, Hammond, not a likeable character. But in the film, the film constantly asks you to like Hammond whilst showing you all the terrible things his park has done. Yeah. It constantly agree, yeah. asks you, like this guy, feel sorry for him. He, you know, he was a dreamer. He had an idea. He had this mm. ideal, and it's just gone wrong. But is it really his fault? And you think, well, actually, yes, it is his fault. 
Um, yeah, he, I, he defied nature and he shouldn't have done it. It was all done for capitalism. It, I mean, it, it goes even further than that. He, he says that no expense has been spared, except for the one guy he's paid to help run the park. He, he pays him so little that the guy <laughs> wants to sell embryos off to someone. So it's like yeah. the one the one important yeah. security guy you have who's running the entire <laughs> electronics for the park. That's the bit you chose to cheap out on. I mean, he yeah. was, he was willing to do three years of funding for. Uh, Sam, uh, yeah, for, for Grant, for Alan Grant's yeah. gig, yeah, and you know he, he he's he's willing to fund that for three years, but he didn't he didn't pay his park security officer. <laughs> so good, isn't it? It's so funny. I mean, I think as well like that scene with um, Nedry and Dodson um, at the at the cafe in Costa Rica. Yeah, um, it's one of those scenes again where I, as a film as a film student, a studier of film, and a, and a nerd. Like looking at that scene, it's so important and vital to the plot. But in a film that kids are watching about dinosaurs, it could so easily have been one of those boring dialogue scenes that oh, yeah. are just boring and just put in there. And I think the scene's great. I think it's funny. I think you've got this idea that this this he's he's got all these entrees, doesn't he, on the table? Like he's a big fat guy. He's got yeah. like ten, twelve entrees. And then Dodson uh, arrives with the hat and the glasses, like a like a spy, and he says, Dodson. Dudson, we got Dudson here, and I just thought it's like the older I've got, and now I appreciate how clever that scene is, and and how pivotal it is. And then he shows him the, the canister to put the uh, embryos in. That the embryos have to be transported within a certain time frame for the coolant to keep them at the uh, minus temperature. Yeah, um, and it just sets the plot up again in motion. Uh, and I don't, and I think uh, there's a big complaint, and I've read a lot about it in the last week in the lead up to this podcast. There's been a large complaint about people saying that they didn't, they did too much people and not enough dinosaurs. Um, when we get to the sequel, which we're going to be doing as well uh, next week, the, the sequel's biggest problem, according to critics, was too much action, not enough characters. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, well, what was Stephen supposed to do? Like he had a balancing act there, uh, and and I just think it's a bit sad. I think the film works. For all the character development, it needed all that setup. Um, my missus actually, Natalie watched it with me, my wife, and we were talking about it because I, I watched it twice and I watched it with her as well to get her input on the notes. And she said, what's the point in the amber mine scene? And it's a really good question. But I think ultimately that that, that segue into figuring out how the amber is mined, it also introduces you to the lawyer character of Gennaro doesn't it and yeah. it's Gennaro's Gennaro's explaining to the to the Costa Rican man or whatever and 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 at the time in the cave that they need people to come to the island uh, otherwise the insurance company is going to uh, pull out on the park and blah 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 so it's like it's a bit it's a bit dialogue heavy but it it is necessary to understand why they go to Alan Grant, isn't it, I think? Yeah, and it's a complete palate cleanser as well from that initial raptor attack. You then yeah. cut to a really peaceful sort of journey down a river. Yeah. And I think it, it, it definitely it, it clears the tone from what was a really ominous raptor attack to something that's a bit quieter, a bit calmer. And like it, it yeah. gives you that chance to then digest, you know, like you say, there's a lawyer... The park's in trouble. That that seems to be a common theme with with all the Jurassic films. The park's always in trouble. You know, you, this, <laughs> yeah. the, this this billionaire who's made his you know he's made his wealth on on something <laughs> seems to be absolutely terrible at organising a park opening. 
Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just brilliant that every time it's like forty eight hours to save the park. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, I, do you know? We're going to talk about obviously bit by bit, but when when Hammond arrives at the trailer um, at the beginning of the film. Um, how the hell did he get in the caravan so fast? <laughs> yeah, because they, they see the helicopter land and they're running to the caravan at that stage. Correct, yeah. How does he get... Yeah, because he just sort of... He he appears as this almost Scottish Yoda-like character. Um, <laughs> Scottish Yoda. Because <laughs> it, it it's like that yeah. scene in Star Wars where Yoda's going through the food and, it, and Hammond's yeah. doing the same thing. He's going through the fridge. He's and, rummaging. <laughs> and, and, it, and his Scottish accent sort of... There and then, as the film progresses, yeah. it fades away. Correct. Yeah, uh, which I re- I really enjoy it. So I was watching it, uh, um, ready for the podcast, and I was trying to figure out at what point does that accent disappear? And it's so gradual, you don't notice it until right at the end, where he's he's in the helicopter, and you think, oh, your accent's gone. <laughs> yeah, he says something like. Um... Oh God, yeah, you're right. At the end, when he's on the phone to Grant, he says something like, um, are the children all right? And it's not at all Scottish. And you yeah. think, hang on, has is, is Richard lost that there? Is that deliberate? Or, or... And it, like you said, that accent's so funny in a way that I often thought, and my wife said the same thing, was John Hammond just putting on the Scottish accent to seem friendlier, like as a, as a character development, as a character acting Scottish, right, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I and I don't know. I think it's a great question. Yeah, I assume he's supposed to be Scottish because uh, he does say, doesn't he, something like uh, when I when I was a young man and I came down from Scotland. So you're like, okay, maybe he was then. But yeah, I think it it'd be more nuanced if it'd be more interesting as well if if John had put the accent on yeah. to make his character and demeanour seem more likable, yeah. approachable. I, I'm a like somebody in a call centre putting a Geordie accent on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it would be it would make the story more interesting. I think if 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 that would if that were the case, um, that John Hammond demo. While we're on the subject of John Hammond uh, at Jurassic Park, what the hell is that? Does that mean because he talks to himself, doesn't he? Uh, he's on the telly and he talks to himself, and then he pricks his finger to show him the DNA in the in the blood. Um, does that mean John Hammond has to be there every day? He must do. He must have to do, not just every day, Jake, but every tour. I don't know how many times they're going to do a tour, but every time customers turn up, John Hammond has to be there talking to himself. It's mad, isn't it? Imagine that. Imagine any other place. Imagine Disney World. You go to Disney World and Bob Iger has to do 15 tours a day (laughs) at Disney World. Then he's got to fly to Paris and do those ones as well. I, I loved in that in that sort of um, opening bit though. Uh, they talk about yeah. sophisticated techniques being used, and on the screen, yeah. all you see is a drill. <laughs> They're just drilling into <laughs> into the amber. But sophisticated techniques are being used. Just a giant drill. <laughs> yeah, big drill, drilling the mosquito. Again, the mosquito blood thing um, and the frog DNA. This is one of those things in the novel where they bleed that information out gradually, whereas in the film, they kind of give you all that information in one sequence, which is where they're in the tour. Um, It's a little bit dialogue heavy. I guess it kind of needs to be there to give the audience the sense of the reality. And obviously for me and you watching it as young people, me, I was very, very young. It was, it was enough to make that idea of dinosaurs being in Costa Rica 
a hundred percent plausible. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like even to the point where now, even like they know that they can find dino DNA in things like tree resin, can't they? But they don't have the technology to obviously replicate a dinosaur egg. But you're like, that is surely that's in, and you think as a kid, oh yeah, they use frog DNA, lizard DNA to fill it in, like because that's a bit like a dinosaur, and they use dinosaur DNA from the mosquito to get the the different dinosaurs. That works. Yeah, <laughs> that, that totally works. I I I, I liked it because it. Cause it it's a, a very simple explanation for how they've made this magic happen. So, yeah, I think, I think yeah. it works for, for most things. Um, I'm just trying to think, because the, the, the talk gets interrupted, doesn't it, when Grant sees the sort of workings going on in the lab behind, and he just breaks, yeah, the, yeah. breaks the chair and goes and, and has <laughs> a look, and they've got like a robot turning eggs for them and things like that. Yeah. I just think, James, in any other situation, I know this is like a tour ride, but imagine if you're on a ride and you see something out of the ride, then you just lift, you break the harness and push it up and then just fall out. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. imagine, imagine if Grant had just got to the side of the cinema seat and it just fell down a massive hole. <laughs> it's like, like those YouTube videos you see when people walk onto a, a, a treadmill but the yeah. treadmill's going too quickly and they just yeah. fall flat on their face. <laughs> that was exactly what I was thinking. That'd be brilliant. Um, the, th- the thing with this film is the dinosaurs being made by a lab is miraculous and amazing. But the CGI dinosaurs and the animatronic dinosaurs that were invented for the movie, I think, are equally as astounding. Oh, yeah. Do you know? I mean, we've, like, we have actually just skipped over that, haven't we? Because um, all this stuff happens after... They see their first dinosaur, the the reveal, yeah, and, yeah, and that Brachiosaurus. is That is the, the probably the high point of cinema, isn't it? That that reveal is what, mm. as along with all the other stuff this film does really well. That's pretty much the uh, the the point you can say that was what impressed people. That first yeah. reveal of the dinosaur and how well it was executed because it was a long distance shot of a CGI character. Yeah. integrated with real people and they did it so well because they I think the difference between this and films in the uh, later films in the series is it was such a long distance shot but it wasn't ever held on yeah. for very long and it was intercut with reaction shots and it was the reaction shots of the actors that helped sell it as well yeah them looking up into the sky yeah the dinosaur yeah it is it is phenomenal um I was just looking at some of the stuff I've written because I did quite a bit of research on this um, one of the first big Hollywood blockbusters to utilize CG in this way. I mean, up until 93, you'd had the Star Wars trilogy that had come out. Um, George Lucas's company, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, were invented for Star Wars. So that's where they, they, they came from. And then they were a subject of a higher company for other production companies to use them for digital effects. Uh, one of the first CGI characters was the young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, not sorry, not it's in the film, the young Sherlock Holmes and the character was the stained glass man. Yeah. Who was a, basically a stained glass window that came to life. Have you seen that? I have. It's really cool. It's a great shot. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It's like, and then they, they film around this 3d glass character. And then you can look through the stained glass at the actor and it was very cleverly done. Uh, then I think it was The Abyss yeah. and uh, Terminator 2, ultimately. The yeah. two films by James Cameron, um, both utilising CG for the liquid Terminator and the uh, the water tentacle from The Abyss. 
and then Jurassic Park. That's kind of it. Like, imagine now going through a list of every film that's used a CGI character, and yeah. we're in what 20, 2020. So this was just over. Um, this was just over nearly well, nearly thirty years ago. Um, it's mad, isn't it? Like in less than thirty years, in this point in ninety three, there was what five films that had used CG in this way. Yeah, uh, and Jurassic Park was the first one to do it with these huge. Um, these huge creatures walking with actors and reacting to them and things like that. It's just brilliant. Uh, Stan Winston as well did the creature effects on the larger dinosaurs and the animatronic dinosaurs. So whenever you see the T-Rex, basically it's head close up to the actors, to the car. When you see the T-Rex for the first time coming out of the, uh, of the, of the, of the rain, like uh, in, in the enclosure, a lot of those shots where you only see half of its body or its head, they are a real giant animatronics, yeah. animatronic Tyrannosaurus, which is unbelievable. If you get a chance, I mean, go online, have a look at some of the set photos because they are absolutely terrifying. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, when, when you consider the not just the jump from <coughs> where they were then to where we are now, but the mm. jump from, say, the animatronic uh, Jaws shark to... What, the animatronic dinosaurs, even that jump is incredible because yeah. the, the Jaws shark looks awful <laughs> in comparison. Yeah. Um, and then the, the dinosaurs, like you say, they, they look real. They, and they, they did, um, that, there's uh, the, the Corridor Crew YouTube channel have done a, a really good look mm. at the, the CGI used in Jurassic Park and the, uh, they, they've uh, talked in a number of videos that, about how the the T Rex introduction worked so well because they uh, because of how it was lit uh, yeah. the fact that it was it was in the dark with rain and they could do uh, the rain effects on the CG character to to make it feel like it was part of that environment the environment thought, yeah and and that again helps sell it because it's you know the the characters reactions to it make it feel real but the actual yeah. uh, interaction with the environment makes it feel real as well it's not just plonked there it it no. feels like it belongs there which is cool i mean one of the first major animatronic characters we see in the movie is the giant triceratops that's lying down in the field um and then you get obviously all your actors you get the kids and and ellie and grant interacting with this huge animal on the floor that breathes and that moves its legs and moves its mouth and moves its eyes completely I mean, it is mad, isn't it? That is yeah. a real thing. I mean, to anyone else, that looks like a real dinosaur. Absolutely. What, what else would you? What would you say it is? It's filmed on celluloid. It's right there in front of you, and it moves and breathes. It's it's real. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible, and like as a you know an element of the film, it stands out. It's amazing. As part of the narrative, yeah. I got a bit thrown by this because that dinosaur's not well. And, yeah. and they keep going on about how beautiful it looks. So, like, the thing's dying. <laughs> Come on. Oh, no. <laughs> but they keep going, it's... oh, it's so beautiful. And they, they, they keep stroking yeah. it and lying on it. I'm like, that thing's in pain. Leave it be. <laughs> so in the uh, in the novel, it talks about them. Um, they Because the... <sighs> It's a hard one to figure out what they mean because in the film it's tapped upon, but it's not really made a deal out of. The people that built the park, like we were talking about before, yeah. were capitalist millionaires like Hammond. They didn't understand what things to put in with the dinosaurs, what things to feed them, what they could get allergic to. So basically what happens in, in Jurassic Park, I think it's 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 referenced twice in the movie, Um 
The trike has got ill because of um, it's eaten something that it shouldn't have eaten yeah. and it's poisoned itself. Basically is what happened to it. It gets poisoned. Uh, they keep falling ill because of all the bacteria on the island that they're not used to. Uh, the Brachiosaurus, when Lex gets sneezed on by the Brachiosaurus, it's um, she says, oh, it looks like it has a cold uh, and it sneezes. That's because it's ill, again, because of foreign bacteria on the island that it's not yeah. used to as an animal and it hasn't really been properly made to live in that environment. So all of these things are nods to the fact that they made these dinosaurs, but they didn't really know how they were going to react with the modern world uh, that they had been brought into. And also, like, the ecosystem that a triceratops would have eaten 65 million years ago doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably gone. So all these things are, like, really cleverly weaved into the novel. That, you know, and then they're kind of hinted upon in the movie. But, um, yeah, ultimately, a lot of that stuff's about the idea that the people that made Jurassic Park didn't really have any idea what to do with the dinosaurs, and that's why it all went wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> And didn't they make them deficient in, in a certain mineral? Uh, yes, it's a amino acid called um, lysine, um, which was manufactured into them by that Doctor Wu, the Asian doctor that we see in the in the lab, and that's yeah. to stop them from being able to leave the park. So if they managed to get off the island, if they weren't given lysine within a certain amount of days, they would just go into a coma and then die. Yeah. Because um, that gets referenced in in the sequel, doesn't it? In a in a cool way, so I, I, I like yeah. that. Yeah, oh. we'll save that. I think yeah. for the sequel, but it is yeah, and it's very heavily referenced again in the book. Crichton does an amazing job of giving you all the pseudoscience that you need. Do you know, like as soon as he references something in the novel about how something be- behaves, yeah, he then gives you like a fucking publication next to it on the next page that tells the reader exactly how that works ah, to the point cool. where. As a as a as, you know as a science fiction fan and a, and a fan of the films and the books, I'm reading it and you completely bought into it. It makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, there's a reason for that. As a film fan, I like that when a filmmaker or a writer does that when they can give you the reason why these things happen and based in the reality that they're in. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's crazy. It, it is. It's great, and <clears throat> I think it's in this scene where they've done the egg turning. They they they've hatched a dinosaur. Um, they, uh, th- this is the life finds a way. Yeah, this film's so quotable, isn't it? But where they talk about yeah. how all the dinosaurs are female. Yeah. And uh, then uh, Jeff Goldblum has his life uh, finds a way moment. Yeah, uh, which I really enjoy. The idea that you, you can't control nature in the way that you're trying to control it because doesn't work historically it never has worked and that is it's very true it's true to life that we we live in today we always try to put parameters on nature and it never works <laughs> yeah and uh and then following that we've got the uh we've got the scene where grant finds out that they've bred raptors and he gets super geeky he completely fanboys yes. it out with the with the guy who's looking after the raptors <laughs> which i love Robert muldoon yeah yeah, that actor, um, I haven't got his name, I've totally forgotten. I think it's Bob something. I've got it written down somewhere. Um, he uh, He's from Leeds. He's an English actor, stage mm. actor. Uh, he died in his 40s, I believe. He wasn't oh. very old when he passed away. He wasn't long after Jurassic Park, which is probably why we haven't seen him in anything else, because he wasn't around long after Jurassic Park. Right. But incredible actor um, in that those scenes that he's in with the raptors. And, you know, um, ultimately says he knows a lot about raptors. Doesn't know that much, does he, James? <laughs> no. No, as a raptor expert, I would want my money back. <laughs> yeah. 
You go and dig him up and ask for his money back. Not the actor, I mean the character. The character. I'm just going to make that abundantly clear that I am not making a joke about a dead person. I am making a joke about a dead character and you can leave me alone. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's a bit with the... They put the cow in, don't they, with the raptors? Yeah, still at that point, we, we don't see a raptor. We, uh, we hear them. And, and so it builds up that mystique about raptors, doesn't it? Because obviously the T-Rex is something that you really, you know, you definitely have this fear of because you yeah. everyone knows about T-Rex. I think at the time, not many people realised how scary raptors might be. So no. making the raptors almost the the bad guy because the T-Rex kind of gets a redemption at the end. So the raptors stay. Yeah, we'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> I know. I, I agree. It's a strange, it's a strange twist of bringing the T-Rex back in a heroic role, which they do in the sequels as well. Yeah. Uh, it's very clever that he can do that. So I think Spielberg's just a master of, of filmmaker, like, like with things like that anyway. But like you said, the choice to suppress all the carnivorous dinosaurs until halfway through the movie or the end of the movie. So even like when they're in the Explorer and they're going through the Dilophosaurus enclosure, you don't see any Dilophosaurus, but you get told what they are by the um, by the, the narrator, don't you, in the car? Yes. Um, and I did write down, Dilophosaurus was a real dinosaur, a real carnivore in the Cretaceous period. However, it does not spit venom. Um, it does have a hood. Sorry, it doesn't have a hood like a cobra. Uh, all of these things were made up for the movie. It is also significantly smaller in Jurassic Park than it would have been in real life. Ah. Yeah. Dilophosaurus is kind of bollocks. <laughs> it was real, but it wasn't the way it was portrayed in the movie. It doesn't no. spit venom, as cool as that is. And you can, you can sort of tell that as well, because the, the, <laughs> the way you it's dealt with and the way you see it attack later, it looks a bit like a gremlin model. Like, yeah. Like when the gremlins change, it looks a bit like that. The way it emotes, it smiles and things like that. It's it's a bit too cartoony. Just a bit. It is good though, isn't it? It's amazing. I love it. But it it doesn't feel like the other dinosaurs feel like they sh- should have existed. This feels like it was yeah. made up for the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. But so uh, moving on though with it, um we do get the bits where the so the kids and the adults go on their tour. Um we get to see the control room and we get to see all the problems that um, are happening due to Nedry's system, which I think are, are they, I don't know if you got this from the film. I'm sure I did. Nedry is planting these glitches in the system so that he has to do the reset, which will disable power. Right. So, so all the things that uh, Samuel L. Jackson's in this scene, again, amazing actor, very underrated and understated in this movie, but Samuel L. Jackson is the, uh, the head of operations. Yeah. Was this um, his first film? I think this was one of his first films. I think films. it's one of his first major films, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 93. But um, he chain smokes throughout the entire film, which I think is great. And um, that is also referenced in the novel. But the Nedry character is is making glitches to the Jurassic Park computer system so that when he, when the storm hits the island, he has to reset the system and says, doesn't he, that some of the systems might go on and off for a while, but it's nothing to worry about. It, and this is all in aid of him turning off the power so he can get into that room with the embryos, which is yeah. so clever. It is, it's brilliant, but I love the way they do it as well because he over-explains why the systems are going to turn off. <laughs> yeah. To the point where it everyone's really like... Suspicious. Yeah, it's so suspicious and everyone seems to know that... <laughs> it's suspicious but they they're so worried about getting this tour off uh, off the ground yeah. that they don't pay much attention um, no. so yeah uh, the 
I love that his his escape again, although Hammond has spared no expense, Nedry's escape is completely thwarted by a sign not working correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on an island spared no expense. He doesn't know how to find his way to the dock, which is apparently a five-minute drive. <laughs> oh, imagine that, James. Imagine if I couldn't make it to the bottom of Ecclesaw Road of my car because I didn't know where it was. Yeah, I mean... Like, there can't be that many roads on Jurassic Park Island, can there? And you would have thought, being ahead of, like, the security system uh, and setting up... <laughs> pretty much the entire park to run autonomously you'd know roughly yeah. where everything was but it is night time yeah, it is raining so um the <laughs> I, I do like later as well because they obviously at this stage the the rest of the troop are in their in their scale electric cars going around the island um yeah yeah I the, like that scale electric car. Brilliant. They're all they're all this little track going around the island. Yeah, and they, they've I totally appreciated that. <laughs> the uh, the power goes out when they're outside the T Rex enclosure. And yeah. uh, prior to this, they they basically put a goat in the T Rex enclosure to try yeah. and encourage it out so they could see it. Um, yeah. And and this goat somehow becomes a, like a like a cave canary like you know when you're mining and you wanted to make sure yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. gas leaks so every time you see the goat still there you feel quite secure and then all of a sudden you see yeah. the goat disappear <laughs> which the goat the goat again is in the novel and the rex comes for the goat um i believe he comes for the goat during the demonstration so again spielberg made a conscious choice not to let that happen ah. in the in the book in the book they arrive at the enclosure in the day and the goat comes out, and the T-Rex comes for the goat. He comes out of the trees, gets the goat, eats it, and then they're like, oh, amazing. Then it buggers off again. Right. But they completely suppress that. So like you said, when you come back to the enclosure at night in the rain and the storm with the power outage, they're right next to where the goat is. And it's kind of that, like you say, it's the, it's the canary in the cage scenario where you go, oh, God. If the goat goes, if they can't see the goat, it must be in there somewhere. And then, obviously, we get the best scene in the entire movie, James. We do. We get the Tyrannosaurus Rex footprints coming for the cars, coming for the goat, rather. It's brilliant. And the that makes so much more sense now you've explained that they meet the T-Rex in the day. Because my, my next note was, why do they have night vision goggles in these cars? Are the tours intended to run through the night? <laughs> like, yeah, they are. I think they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, that 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 seems so bizarre, doesn't it? Because most theme parks are just like daytime things. So yeah. the fact that they have these park tours uh, after dark, um, obviously, I imagine that Jurassic Park would do some sort of Halloween night like Alton Towers do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have the the water shaking with each footstep of a T Rex. Oh, God, it's just it's. I can't overstate how much that is movie magic it's bliss oh it's the incredible best thing i've ever seen in a film when i was a child i was completely captivated by it and when you hear the first because i remember when you hear the first footprint timmy turns around and takes off the goggles and then like kind of looks at the other characters who aren't reacting and you kind of go don't worry timmy i heard it too and then it goes again and then he grabs lex and says did you feel that and it's that thing of going as a child, you're listening for the next one and you, they get more, what they get more persistent, don't they? They get more repetitive as they come, as it comes towards the car. Yeah. Um, 
What an amazing use of tension building. Again, Spielberg, the master of tension building. We've seen that in Jaws. We've seen that in Close Encounters. He just does tension unlike any other film director. Oh, yeah. It's, it's remarkable. It's, it, is, it is a masterclass in tension. It's, it's, it's near perfect. Like I don't think you could improve on that. No, and apparently the water droplets, uh, the water in the cups was the hardest thing for the, the technical team to get right on the film. Yeah. Uh, apparently they tried every form of vibration to try and get it to do the rings on the water cups and they couldn't get it right. Uh, in the end, they threaded a guitar string underneath the uh, glove compartment of the car and a, a, a visual effects supervisor plucked the guitar string on demand, which caused the cups to ripple. So that's how they got it. Excellent. Oh, that's cool. That's a clever yeah. way of doing it. Uh, not, don't say I don't teach you something on this podcast, James. Oh, I, I, every day is a school day. Every day is a school day. <laughs> but yeah, I think as well, uh, that T-Rex sequence, when it breaks out of the enclosure and attacks the explorers, that uh, it has no music, there's no score, Yeah, um, which makes it all the more scary, I think. All the sounds in it, like the fences collapsing, uh, in the, it, all made by the Foley artist, the fences coming down, the wrecks breaking out, the uh, the rain and the thunder, just the whole thing is brilliant, isn't it? Especially when Gennaro gets out the car and runs into the toilets and, and then the famous toilet eating scene happens. Yeah, I, just to have that moment of what is obviously horrific because <laughs> a guy's being eaten, but equally hilarious because it was off a toilet. You know, you think uh, just that, yeah. that that break in, the, in that really serious tension where you think, ha ha, that's a toilet. And then... Yeah, and you're instantly snapped back into it by the fact that the the Rex eats him. Mm-hmm. It's weird as well. It's one of those few things that I remember being a child at school and the kids talking about. Have you seen that film Jurassic Park? That man gets eaten off the toilet. It's well funny. Like you say, it's one of those things that kids remembered probably more so than an adult audience would recognise. Yeah, it sticks in your mind a lot when you're a child. Um, for me, it was always the bit with the little during the Rex's hand comes through the the tree yeah. and like wriggles the cables of the uh, of the electric fence and realizes that they're not on yeah um that bit was the bit that always went through me as a kid because i kind of thought oh no does, is he testing the fence he knows the fence is off like the t-rex had some sort of cognitive ability to figure out that he could get out um, yeah i just thought it was really funny oh it, it, <clears throat> it's great it, it's it's such a good scene um and it uh, the ending of it you know where the car gets pushed over the edge yeah I think is it keeps the tension up, doesn't it? Because yeah, there's that that whole worry of are they going to get out of that car in time? Yeah, it's one of those like you say. There's a it's an amazing sequence for just T Rex gets out. The kids basically lure the T Rex in by accident, don't they? And then the T Rex attacks the car, and a seemingly I guess the T Rex assumes the car is something it can eat. It doesn't know what it's attacking, but it knows there's something inside. So it's attacking the car. Then Grant and Malcolm try to tempt the T-Rex away with the flares, don't they? That's very clever as well. Yeah. And uh, then that's where Malcolm gets um, gets proper proper done in by the Tyrannosaurus. Um, Gennaro gets eaten. And then we're back at the car with Grant trying to get the kids out of the car before the Rex comes back. And yeah, like you say, it's just, it's just one of the greatest sequences in any action film you'll probably ever see. It's just so good. Yeah, uh, and the tension is unbelievable. We then get Nedry um, breaking out of Jurassic Park with his canister of, of shaving foam, um, and he then meets his end at the Dilophosaurus, which he thinks is some sort of dog, and tries to play fetch with it. 
a weird scene that is. It's it is so bizarre. Strange. It is bizarre. It's it's. I, I do. I I love it though. I love the again that it's that sense of humour mixed with horror, mm. and you, yeah. you, you, it keeps you on your toes all the way through. Yeah, and it's kind of funny how it goes gradually. It kind of gets gradually worse throughout the scene, doesn't it? Where it's like it's following him. It's following him. It won't leave him alone. He can't get the car moving. Now it's spitting at him. Can he get in the car quickly? And then when he gets in the car, it it's in the car with him. Yeah. It's just so it's so Spielberg. It's so scary. Like you say, though, it is very Gremlins. It felt very Gremlins, that bit. Yeah. But, I mean, not in a it's bad way. Them. That was never a criticism. It was just that was... No. That, that's how that particular monster of, of, the, of, of the screen felt. But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's great. And we, we, we then have a real calming moment, don't we, where they're... Um, Grant and the kids are watching the dinosaurs from their, their treehouse. Yeah, from the tree. It's lovely, that scene. And there's that beautiful John Williams uh, melody on, like, a xylophone kicks in when they're yeah. on the tree. Uh, and then Grant throws the raptor claw away, which is kind of, a, like, I guess it's a metaphor for Grant letting go of his preconceptions about the kids. And um, and I guess also Grant letting go of his career, because ultimately the dinosaurs are walking now, so you don't need a paleontologist anymore. no. No, um, uh, and we, yeah. we get the revelation that Timmy never had a treehouse, despite being related yeah. to a millionaire, a billionaire rather. Timmy never <laughs> had a treehouse. Uh, yeah, so... but James, he did have his own private theme park. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> like his granddad was this mad Scottish Michael Jackson obsessed with dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's but so I, good. I don't get after they've seen a a giant dinosaur like a T Rex, their instant reaction is to go high in a tree that didn't look all that much taller than the T Rex. <laughs> they've just I hope it was. I don't know. It must have been because the Brachiosaurus comes up to it in the morning, doesn't it? And oh, that's, that's true. Pretty fucking tall. Yeah, it's that's a big true. thing. Um. Yeah. So that I try to think where I've got to on my notes. Yeah, the John Williams score, which I wanted to talk about. Um. It gives the film so much emotional depth. Uh, the treehouse scene, which we've spoken about, the danger theme when it comes to uh, Nedry in the jungle, uh, like a, almost like a jungle beat when Nedry's trying to steal the embryos and yeah. um, and the ki- and everyone's in danger. And then you've got just oh god, so many good rhythms and themes to Jurassic Park that change so much with the emotions of each scene. Because uh, then you go from the emotional, like you say, Jurassic Park and. Uh, dinosaur scene, the T Rex scene, to the to the quieter scene with Grant in the tree. Then we get a really quiet and really somber scene with uh, Ellie and Hammond in the uh, Jurassic Park, what like restaurant, I guess. Yeah. Um, and he's talking about his regrets and that he really wanted this park to be the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, but he will be able to take control of it again. He will figure it out. He will make sure that they're not all over dependent on automation. And it's that thing that John can't let go of um, this dream of yeah. the park. And he doesn't really let go of it until the very last scene in the film when he is about to get on the helicopter and hesitates and then gets on the helicopter, which I thought was a really beautiful finish to the John Hammond arc. Yeah. It, again, we, we're constantly asked to feel sorry for him. This, despite mm. being shown all the reasons why we should disagree with him, <laughs> we, you, know, you, you do feel for him, don't you? So yeah. It, it, I mean, it, in, the, in the book, Hammond dies in the book. He gets eaten. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, he falls down a, a hill when he gets scared by some T-Rex. I think it's like a T-Rex roar, but it's an automated roar from the theme park speakers. Oh. And it makes him fall. I know. It makes him fall down a hill. And then the compies eat him, which are the small dinosaurs, which we don't actually see in the film, but they're in the book. They're like yeah. little uh, lizard. Rep- I think they're in the second and third one, but they're yeah. in the first one. And they they're were like tiny. They were in the... Because uh, <laughs> I remember them being really annoying in the Mega Drive game. Yes, that's right, yeah, in the Sega game. <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's about that time, James, for me to play you the Spurred No Expense John Hammond remix. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I love it. So I've been... <laughs> so many things on YouTube. Again, I don't own the rights to this, but I'm sure we're, creatively we can play 30 seconds of it. We're fine. Yeah. This was a remix I found of the John Hammond uh, Spurred No Expense uh, speech, which he gives several times during the course of this movie. Uh, really spectacular. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Spared no 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 expense. Really spectacular. Spared no expense. The voice you're now hearing is John. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Spectacular disaster. Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Spectacular disaster. Spared no expense. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. The voice you're now hearing is John. How good is that? That's brilliant. (laughs) The full version is available on YouTube. Um, What an amazing song. It's Uh, great. And I just love that he keeps saying that throughout the film, despite showing every time he's he's spared an expense has caused a problem. I mean, someone on YouTube said, John Hammond says spared no expense, except for a better helicopter landing area, because that's really bad. Um... Better security systems, a better um, a better person to run the park or pay the person that runs the park to run the park better. Better fences, um, <laughs> like everything everything about the film. Better road signs, better fences, better sea defences. Like, it's, it's really shoddy. Jurassic Park could have been so much better had he have actually spared no expense. Oh. Instead of cutting corners, which he did, you lazy Scottish bastard. <laughs> <laughs> It goes further than that, Jake. The next sort of setup for the whole plot is the fact that the park is based entirely on one fuse box. (laughs) Yeah, it's in a bunker. Why is it so far away? Yeah, why isn't the fuse box for the rest of the park in the control centre? I know. Surely... Yeah, like you said, surely the best place to have the fuse box to the electric fences, which keep the dinosaurs from eating people, would be in the room yeah. <laughs> where they where they stop the dinosaurs from eating people. Oh, but dear. it's actually in a bunker in what we can now call raptor territory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And then, uh, you know, his excuse for this is, all major theme parks have problems. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. And then, uh, and then that's where uh, uh, Malcolm says um, that John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean and Disney breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, you get the great scene. Ellie resets the fences. That is my missus's favourite scene in the film. Um, we were talking about it on the sofa the other night. Natalie said the bit with just a boy on the fence and Ellie turning the the buttons on and the music John Williams's music building that and again it's that thing of that master of tension um, oh yeah it's and- just brilliant and you know it's coming when she's going to press the last button but you just 
don't know when it's going to happen. No, and it's that contrast, isn't it? Because Ellie's in in the dark underground, and Grant and the kids are out in the bright and the light. So every time it flicks yeah. between them, there's that real contrast of feeling. Yeah. yeah, and it kind of makes Ellie the villain for a minute, and you're like, she's not really the villain. She's just trying to get the park working so that everyone can be safe. She doesn't know that that Tim and Alan and Lex are at this fence. Yeah, um, and it's just that, like, yeah, it's that, it's that that marriage of of drama and tension of the kids trying to get to safety and the adults trying to protect the kids, but inadvertently putting the kids in harm's way. I mean, somebody said something brilliant about this, uh, which I was listening to online on another podcast, which was he's bought these experts to the park to test the park safe. Why did he bring his grandkids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of, of all the kids, all the people to bring, your kids are not the one. Like... Legitimately, Grant and Ellie and Malcolm are there because somebody died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, the bank doesn't want to give them any money. They, but the kids are just there because I guess their parents didn't want to be with them. I don't know why are they there. Yeah, um, in the film, I think at the beginning of the film it's referenced, and it is referenced in the novel. Lex and Tim's mum and dad are having a divorce, right? Just going very sloppy. Um, and 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 apparently uh, Hammond invites Lex and Tim to the island to get them away from the mum and dad, you know their problems because it's a little bit sad, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, divorce is so much worse than dealing with a T Rex. So yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I've been through divorce, and I've not. I was going to say I've been through divorce, James, and I've been through dinosaurs. No, I haven't. No, uh, my mum and dad got divorced. Um, I hadn't had dinosaurs, but I had been to Universal Studios where there was Jurassic Park. So yeah, you, you your life is basically Jurassic Park, is what we're saying. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just so good. And then we get to the bit with the Ellie going in, resetting the fuses. Then we see the first raptor of the film and John um, Arnold's arm, Samuel L. Jackson's arm, comes out of the cage. Yeah. Which is very hokey. But uh, I think, if anything, it's the only bit of the film that's not aged very well. Yeah. Um, but it's followed up by the raptor's physicality is demonstrated. The fact that the, that the power... You, when the raptor is pushing through the um, sort of the, the metal, gate. yeah, metal gate, and you see how powerful it is. And he's, that that made them scary again after seeing. Like you say that the uh, Samuel Jackson's arms a bit schlocky. Yeah, it's not. It, it, it's obviously there is a scare, but it's it, it's sort of like again. You, you go back to other Spielberg films like Jaws where divers yeah. are swimming and all of a sudden they see a severed arm. And it's sort of that again, yeah. but on the land. So he's like, he, he's doing a lot of his Jaws things, but on land mm-hmm. with dinosaurs. But again, I, I love the fact that the the animatronic was able to, they were able to show it pushing through the uh, the, the mesh of the gate. And yeah. it, it makes it again feel real. It's part of that yeah, environment. Visceral. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I mean, in the real life, the raptors were significantly smaller, uh, according to a lot of paleontology. Um, they weren't six foot, seven foot tall. They were probably about three feet tall. Um, oh, so I think, again, making them this size makes them scarier for the purpose of the film, what oh, they can yeah. do. And, and then you've got the... It's all the things that sort of put them in the real world, like the, um, the bit later where the raptor steams up the window... Yeah, and then comes to the kitchens. Yeah, 
I love that. And, yeah, and, and the kitchen, the kitchen scenes often cited as one of the best scenes in the entire film. Yeah. And again, like you say, because you're putting a 65 million year old reptilian killing machine in a kitchen with two children, it makes it more of a horror film than, like you say, an action or a dinosaur film. Yeah. You're like, oh, these things are out to kill these kids and they're going to hunt them. And they know they're in the kitchen somewhere. And it's how the kids interact with the kitchen services, the raptors pushing their heads through the shelves and the little spoon falls off, doesn't it, next to Timmy. Uh, and then the raptors hear the spoon and oh, it's just phenomenally well made. I love that raptors don't get reflections. <laughs> yeah. like like cats yeah <laughs> yeah um, not that clever are you raptors no uh, we we then have the cheesiest line in the film where yeah. the girl sits at the computer and says it's a unix system i know this oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i can't even say enough about that because i know that at the time that 3d model was based on uh, a computer program. Yeah. But it's that thing of going, we need a way of showing people in 1993 what searching on a computer looks like. And they've done this in lots of films. They did it in like war games. They did it in uh, even in wrestling when they introduced um, the WWF website in the 90s. And you had like wrestlers trying to explain what the, what the WWF website was, even though none of them actually knew what a website was. <laughs> it's like... It, 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 it's that precursor to what we now know as the modern internet age, isn't it? That people just people just take computers for granted now, whereas back in 93, it wasn't all that popular. No, no. And I mean, the, the, the idea that, uh, <laughs> that someone of her age would be totally cool with a Unix-based system, <laughs> you think, yeah, eh, maybe not, maybe not. But it's slightly more believable than uh, the child character in the next film, so... We'll, uh, yeah, and we'll I, give it a pass. We'll save that. I think also what you've got to remember is that like Arnold couldn't get Jurassic Park back online. Nedry put a program in place so you couldn't get Jurassic Park back online. No one in the control room knew how to get Jurassic Park back online. Lex arrives. She does three clicks of a mouse and gets Jurassic Park back online. <laughs> Actually, it's probably more realistic. Like all the adults in the room don't know how to do it, but the kids like yeah. you just turn it off and on again, and then you click this button and it works. <laughs> That's literally what happens in the control room, isn't it? When yeah. um, when John Hammond's trying to explain how the system's going to need to come back online in order to all the all the startup programs will need to come back online in the order they went, and, and you're like. You're turning it off and on again, John. <laughs> that's what you're doing. You're pressing off and then on again. And that's what Sam Jackson does, doesn't he? He just turns it off at the breakers. Yeah. Also, why are those breakers there? But the bloody breakers for the electric fence, they're in the outhouse. Because <laughs> Hammond spared no expense, Jake. He spared no expense. <laughs> the people who designed the park obviously got paid uh... in a promise of three years funding. I actually don't think he's a billionaire. I think he's just going around getting people to... <laughs> he's just to... a liar. Yeah, he's just a liar. He's got no money. He, he was really banking uh... on this park. He's got no money. I hope you're right. That's so funny. I did have a, a blooper, like a, like a, how do you call it a blooper? A, a stupid thing about this film, which I, obviously there are many things that are silly about this film, um, not, not less the dinosaur, um, <laughs> but there's the bit where Nedry is um, taking the capsules for the embryos out of the coolant yeah. um, thing. If you look at it carefully and pause it, Tyrannosaurus and Stegosaurus are on there, both spelled incorrectly. 
<laughs> so once again, John spared no expense except for hiring dinosaur people who don't know how to spend, spell dinosaur names. Or was it Steven Spielberg that hired dinosaur people who don't know how to spell dinosaur names? Either way, it's uh, brilliant. Either way, it's funny, isn't it? It's great. I love it. I love that. I think also. Um, yeah, go on. Sorry, no, what were no, you say? No, I was just going to say. I, I think that they they go to all this sort of expense of making the raptors scary, and in the final yeah. scene, the raptors approach and they look like they're just trying to give the characters a hug. <laughs> they sort of spread their arms out and walk towards them yeah. like they're going to give them a hug. Obviously, they're going to... What I was going to say to you earlier that made me laugh is how does Grant know that the T-Rex couldn't see you if you don't move? Grant's never seen a T-Rex before. Nobody has. Yeah. So that idea of like me... I don't don't even know how to describe it. It's like me and you going to, to North America together and then I say... There's a bear, James. And then James, what, what, what do I do? Just don't move. Can't see if you don't move. That sounds like bollocks. And the bear just eats you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if that were the case, like if we had T-Rexes, um, the, 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 the test of that would be not moving. The, yeah. only, the only sort of proof of that would be that person still being around, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like if someone had actually met a T-Rex, and said, yeah, I just yeah, exactly. stood still and it walked by me. But... I yeah. imagine that T-Rex would probably still be able to smell you. Yeah, I don't think that if you were faced with a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you would stay still. It would not be your immediate thought. No, because... Uh, it could I, also, if you stay still, it would just trample on you, wouldn't it? I, absolutely. And they, they sort of undo that in the next film when they, they bring out more T-Rex facts, saying that the T-Rex has the biggest sort of nasal cavity of any animal and it can smell for miles. Well... Yeah. If that's the case, it can smell you right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we get the uh, we get the kids in the kitchen, and then we get the raptors in the control room, and it all kind of comes to a head with the raptors at the end. Um, inside, it's in the visitor center, isn't it? At the end. And yeah, it's in like that main the atrium. Comes. Yeah, the T Rex comes to save them, which again is very cheesy, um, but ultimately, I think it gives you. It gives you a nice feeling of elation before they run out of the of the control room, run out of the atrium yeah. into the jeep with Hammond and, and Malcolm, and then they go and they're they're on their way. They're leaving Jurassic Park after a weekend of hell. Um, Grant says, "I've decided not to endorse your park." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really good, and then it cuts back to the T Rexes flinging the Raptors around. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's that moment as well in, uh, where, where the T-Rex is sort of roaring and you see the yeah. sign, uh, the Jurassic Park sign falling down around it. It's really quite symbolic. Yeah, uh, yeah that, it you just know, flutters down to the floor, doesn't it? The banner. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there, there is a, apparently, again, this is down to the, the good folks at the Corridor Crew YouTube channel, the, uh, this ages the film slightly. There's a single frame when the T-Rex is slinging the raptor where the raptor disappears because the computer didn't have enough power to render it for that frame. And that made it to the final film. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. That's in every every release of the film, there's that frame of raptor missing. Uh, we have to go back and have a look at that. And you, you, you almost don't... Well, you, you don't see it because it's... Obviously, it happens so quickly. But there's that yeah. one frame where the computer just didn't render the raptor. 
uh, and it was yeah. so computer intensive to do that they didn't have time to re-render the scene so we yeah, we, we get we get a magical disappearing raptor and then we have the the quiet theme on on the piano in the helicopter as they're going uh it's sort of yeah all sort of flows and ebbs away it's lovely the scene on the helicopter has absolutely no dialogue in it which is for a movie for children and families risky to end a film like that yeah but had they had got any person in that helicopter to talk I think it would ruin the entire scene. Yeah, I do. I think it, it's because obviously everything they've been through for that weekend, like you say, it's been yeah. traumatic. They're all exhausted and it, you can see it visibly. Yeah. Hammond's distraught, his dream's dead. You know, yeah, he's just staring at his um, his uh, walking stick, which has got the embryo. It's not, not the embryo, the, um, the amber, hasn't it, on yeah. the top of it. It's and, brilliant. and Malcolm has, you know, in previous scenes reached peak gold bloom. So mm. you, you, there's there, there's not much more they can do. Uh, uh, so they're all just asleep or trying to deal with their emotions. It's it's good. Yeah, it's brilliant. It, and again, um, there's one thing that I wanted to tell you, which was a memory of Jurassic Park, which is probably more significant than anything. Obviously, I've been to Jurassic Park in Universal. I was lucky enough to go there when I was about eight years old. So going to Jurassic Park, I think I went to Universal in 97, which was the year the sequel came out. So we'll probably talk about that in our next episode. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I went there when The Lost World had just been released in America and I was in America. And um, and I went to the Jurassic Park, went on the rides and stuff. And my God, I was captivated by it. The whole thing completely captivated as a child. Cause it was my favorite film when I was a kid. And it was one of those where we used to hire it from our local video shop. My nan had a newsagent at the top of her road where we would hire videotapes uh, showing my age then. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we'd hire it nearly every weekend. And it got to a point where my nan had hired it from the newsagent so many times that the newsagent gave it to her to keep. Oh. <laughs> so I ended up with my own copy of Jurassic Park, which had one of those, like, do not, not for resale stickers on it. Brilliant. Um, because it wasn't a home video, it was a, a video sold for, uh, for rental. For, yeah. for, for rental, yeah, a rental video. And it was in a really big, sturdy box for a videotape. Nice. And uh, God, yeah, I kept that up until probably when I was about 18 when I moved out of my house, when I moved away from home. But yeah, mad. I just can't believe how much this film meant to me as a kid. Talking about it now with you in our own podcast on this medium, uh, you know, within 2020, it's just great. And I don't yeah. think we could have done it at a better time either. No, I think this this is great. And obviously the, 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 the legacy of the film, you know, things like that, uh, you know the big footstep and the water shaking. It's been repeated mm. in so many different films in different yeah. ways. You know, puddles shaking, things like that. But this is sort of where it all started, and it, it's it it is the source of a lot of modern CGI monsters. You know, that people look at this film as the 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 starting point for a lot of that, and yeah. so it 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 made people want to make films. So a lot of the filmmakers we have now are making films because they love Jurassic Park. Yeah, totally. It's the same thing you get with the Star Wars franchise. Is you get people who are now making Star Wars films or making The Mandalorian who grew up watching Star Wars at our age, you know, when we were little and and are obsessed with it as children, and yeah. now they get to make those sequels. And it is kind of a strange way the world works, isn't it? But 
Yeah, I wonder if Spielberg, because Spielberg had made, in 93, he made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, won the Academy Award for Best Picture for Schindler's List. But I wonder if he knew the legacy of Jurassic Park would last in the imagination of, of children and adults alike, as long as it has. Yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. Absolutely insane. Uh, right, James, is ready for five facts. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. That was the jingle for uh, five facts. <laughs> we, 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 love, we love the five facts jingle. Um, so number one five facts about Jurassic Park number one inspired by the animatronics of the King Kong ride Spielberg set out to create a monster movie and wanted to make something completely different like a Godzilla film that no one had ever seen before and had met Michael Crichton uh, working on the series ER because uh, Michael Crichton was a writer for ER and Crichton told him that he was working on a little book about dinosaurs in a theme park called Jurassic Park and that is where um, Spielberg met Crichton, read the book, got the inspiration, and then commissioned the film Jurassic Park. It all came from going on the King Kong ride and then meeting Michael Crichton around the same time. Mad, isn't it? That's mad. Just think there's an alternate universe where instead of Jurassic World, we got a giant King Kong film, but instead of King Kong, it was a giant George Clooney. Yeah. I've, I had a couple of here, but I've subbed this one out, so I'm going to give you... I'm going to delete this fact and give you the second fact instead. So, uh, number two, the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios was called Jurassic Park River Adventure. The River Adventure was supposed to be a ride in the actual Jurassic Park that was referenced by Hammond at the beginning of the film. Uh, the river cruise consisted of going around through the herbivores and around a river uh, in the jungles of, of the island. Um, in the movie, the Lex and Tim and uh, Alan Grant characters are trying to evade the T-Rex, who is asleep by the side of a river. Uh, and they're trying to get into a raft without waking the T-Rex up. And unfortunately, as they get their inflatable raft going, they wake the T-Rex up and have to escape on the river raft down the winding jungle river as the T-Rex tries to bite the boat. This is something that happens in the ride at Universal Studios. So when you're on your riverboat, you go down the giant waterfall just as the T-Rex's head comes out to try and bite the boat, which is completely taken from the novel. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, it nearly made it into the film, but it was cut out just due to time constraints. I think they ended up putting the Gallimimus bit in instead. Yeah. The uh, Gallimimus running through the fields. It would have been around the same time as that in the book. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Because, again, in the game, the game opens with yeah. you on a raft as Alan Grant. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. It's, it's a really frustrating part of the game because you, you have to fall off waterfalls, and if you don't angle it right, you die. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. So they, so they get so Alan Grant and the kids go off a waterfall in a raft, ah. chased by the Tyrannosaurus, which was supposed to happen um, in this film, and didn't. It wasn't filmed. It was just completely cut out in the end. It was. I think it was in the script, but it was cut from the original script by the uh, by the time they came to production. Uh, number three: tigers, alligators, and elephants were all used to make the sounds for the T Rex's roar. Ah. So it's composition. Uh, comprised of tiger, alligator, and elephant noises. Uh, number four, Jim Carrey was originally cast, or was the original choice, for the character Dr. Ian Malcolm before he was unable to do it, and they hired um, 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 Goldblum. Oh, I'd mad that, isn't it? That would have been really weird. Yeah, so Spielberg's first choice was Jim Carrey, who couldn't do it, so they got um, Goldblum instead. I can, I can imagine... <laughs> 
how terrible a Jim Carrey <laughs> Malcolm would have been. Yeah, all of his little catchphrases, yes. like a glove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah if you look at the character or break the character down from the from the novel um it, you can probably see a little bit of jim carrey in the character if you really look at jim carrey's back catalog yeah um it, it probably would have worked but ultimately I'm, I'm glad we got we got goldblum yeah uh number five final fact somebody did actually nearly die in jurassic park the man's name was adam scott and he was a technician working inside the robotic dinosaur skeleton of the T-Rex, gluing skin to the frame of the T-Rex when the power in the studio went out. The power was keeping the hydraulics in place. And when it was turned off, it made the T-Rex move into its powered down position. So all the hydraulics inside the T-Rex started to move and it went into a power down position. Whilst Adam was inside the Rex, he was nearly crushed to death by the hydraulics, oh, but God. managed to escape unscathed. So yeah, it could have been much worse. Wow. Uh, and that would have been an actual death on the production of Jurassic Park. From a T-Rex. So if someone died on the making of Jurassic Park, would they have to bring three experts in for the filming of Jurassic Park <laughs> to check that the three experts that are playing the three experts who are supposed to be looking at the Jurassic Park, the theme park... It could go on forever, couldn't it? It could, like, it could. you got three experts that come in to check the park, three experts to come in to check the filming of the park, and then three experts to come and check that they're doing their job properly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. And uh, did you get any shit merch? I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. I did find one. I don't know if you found any. I, I haven't actually found any for... Because most of the merch I found... I guess you could class as a shit merch, but it was generally things like t-shirts uh, and yeah. and hats and yeah, 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 things that were purporting to be theme park merchandise. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you saw a bit of that in the one film. Thing. I found one thing, James. Okay. I scoured the internet because, like you said, a lot of it is pretty cool. It's lunchboxes, it's t-shirts, it's 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 little miniature jeeps and things. Um, I really scoured the internet to find the shittest piece of Jurassic Park merch. This was available, I think, either on eBay or on... Uh, what's that other website? It was like Etsy, I think. It might have been Etsy. Um, it, it's a... It's. <laughs> I'm going to just tell you what it says. It's a replica Jurassic Park object of the Barbasol can that Nedry uses to steal the embryos. But it's actually just a fucking can of shaving foam. <laughs> it's about $50, and it's just a hollowed-out shaving foam can with a ring inside it. Brilliant. Oh, dear. Uh, so it doesn't do anything, because it's a can, James. You think they could have at least that made was... it do what the thing in the movie did? Well, I think it has a little compartment in it with the little the vials. But oh, okay. It doesn't do anything, because... It can't. It's just a canister. <laughs> so that's it. It just has a lid that screws off the top and you can screw oh. it back on. Well, that, that's... I just thought that was the shittest bit of merch I could find. Yeah, that, that's not cool whatsoever. Yep, there you go. Right, that was it, James. Jurassic Park. I hope it uh, exceeded everyone's expectations of what it was for us to do such a great movie like Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Obviously, James and I, I would say we spared no expense, but we, we do spare a lot of expense, including using actual licensed music. <laughs> 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 See you later, guys. Thank okay, you. Bye. 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 <laughs>